Good morning. My name is Patrick Mathias. I'm an elder here at West Cohasset. Pastor Joe's been on vacation this week, and in his absence, it's my responsibility to preach today out of Revelation. In fact, during Pastor Joe's vacation time this year, all the elders have preached or will preach out of Revelation. Our theme this summer is what Jesus told the Apostle John to share with the churches. And this morning, I'll do my best to encourage you all with the message Christ sent to the church in Sardis. But before we get too far, I'd like to pray for God's help this morning. Father in heaven, please help me this morning to share this message with your local church, West Cohasset. Help me to be clear. Help me to stick to the message you've given and not go off track. Please, Holy Spirit, do the work of teaching. Speak the message from your word to each heart as it needs to be taught. Please help each heart receive the message and understand it. But help the people not stop there. Help them, help me, help all of us be quick to hear your word, able to understand it, and then, Father, give us the courage and the faith to act on what you teach us. Do this so each of us will become what you want us to become, so we will do what you've created us to do. Please help us in all these things so we can become more like your son, Jesus Christ, for your glory and honor. Amen. Well, before we dig into the first six, first six verses in Revelation 3, let me tell you that there was some fear and trepidation among us elders when we agreed that we would all preach out of this book. Few writings in all literature have been so obsessively read with such disastrous results, says author Luke Johnson, as the book of Revelation. Immediately, I thought back to my time at, <clears throat> in a Bible study at Minnesota State University, Mankato. In fact, I'd just become a Christian, and I'd met a few other Christians on campus, and we started studying the Bible together. Someone suggested that we read Revelation, and off we started on a months-long journey. We found books, cassette tapes, pamphlets, written by a host of authors, and by God's grace alone, we made it through the book chapter by chapter. I would not recommend starting with Revelation as a new believer because, in some readers, this text is capable of eliciting an obsessive and sometimes paranoid need to know, Johnson says. It's sad that such people leave aside completely what Revelation might have to say about how Christians should live, but instead turn the text into a kind of a train schedule used to provide certainty about what's going to happen when. So I preach on Revelation in Pastor Joe's absence because each of our lessons will teach us all something about the church, about the local church. Ephesians 3.10 says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. From the pen of a very old John the Apostle, from the vision of Jesus himself, there's a very specific, useful teaching and how a church ought to live, how people in a church should live their lives on earth. Now that is useful, practical, and pragmatic. That's something I wish I would have learned in that first study I attended as a new believer in Mankato. So let's get started. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. You'll find this passage at the very end of the Bible. you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the seats either underneath you or in front of you. 
And by the way, we provide Bibles for free here at West Cohasset, as Dale mentioned during announcements, for anyone who needs one or if you know someone who needs one. Feel free to bring the one you found under the seat home with you or stop by the Welcome Center out the doors and to the left and pick one up. Let's read together. Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 6. On the back of the uh, uh, <clears throat> um, folder that you, worship folder that you got when you came in, there'll be some key words that you can find in a place to have notes as well. Chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, verse 1 reads, To the angel of the church of Sardis, this letter is written to a very real leader, pastor, to very real people in a very real church. Sardis was an ancient city in Lydia, on the banks of the mountains, mountain Timolus, said to have been the chief city of Asia Minor and the first city in that part of the world converted by the preaching of the Apostle John. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We know the intended audience of this letter, and now we know who sent the message, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is full of the Spirit of God, he is God and has all the various powers, graces, and operations of the Holy Spirit. He has in his hands the seven churches. The church is Jesus Christ's. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. According to Bible scholar F.F. F. Bruce, the church in Sardis partook of the character of that city, whose name was synonymous with pretensions, promise unfulfilled, appearance without reality, and confidence which heralded ruin. Evidently, Bruce continues, compromise with its pagan culture had so eroded the witness of the church in Sardis that it was a Christian church in name only. On the outside, this church in Sardis looked good. In fact, to outsiders, this church had gained a great reputation. It had a reputation for being a flourishing church. Everything appeared to be fine. But Christ knows everything. Our reputation is nothing to him. He knows our past, our present. He knows our future. He knows our motives, and he knows our hearts. There was a form of godliness to this church, but not the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of men, women, and children. Verse 2. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. What an admonition from Jesus to his church. Wake up! We need to wake up. As believers, we have an enemy. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to be aware and awake and on our watch. When we're off our watch, Matthew Henry, Bible scholar, says we lose ground. We must return to our watchfulness against sin and our enemy, Satan. There are at least two ways to take the last half of this verse. I have found your deeds unfinished. One way to understand this comes in the form of people. Some people are living in such a way as they should, but there are so few living this way that the ones who are find it very difficult to bear up under such a heavy burden. The second way to understand this comes by way of practice. The people in the church of Sardis were going about their everyday lives doing good works that looked great on the outside. However, if people in the church were doing good things for the wrong reason or with bad motives, all their works would be hollow and empty to God. Verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Another admonition is given to remember what you've received and what you've heard. What had they received and what had they heard? The most important message in the world, the message of the good news. Do you know what they're speaking of here? That God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life. That all of us are guilty as sinners, and anyone who's ever sinned even one time is not allowed into heaven, unless you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ for eternal life. You see, the gospel message says that the sins we sinned and the punishment for those sins was taken voluntarily by Jesus onto his shoulders. His death on the cross at Calvary was enough payment for our sins. And now by his righteous death, life and death, God counts us as clean, as worthy, and as righteous. That's the message John the Apostle is bringing to the church in Sardis, straight from the mouth of the Savior himself. Let's take a moment and savor that thought. Jesus himself was reminding the church in Sardis to remember the gospel, the story of his perfect life, perfect death, and perfect resurrection. And then Jesus tells them to hold on to that passage and repent. Repent? I thought this message was written to the church in Sardis. Hadn't all the people in the church already repented? Well, evidently not. Perhaps there are those in that church and many churches meeting today all over the world who need to repent and accept the gospel for the first time so that they can become a new creation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Or maybe there were Christians in that church who'd forgotten the awesome power and beauty of the message of the gospel. They may have forgotten how awful and putrid their lives had been without Christ and had slowly become more and more like the culture they lived in until they were living a life that didn't honor Christ one iota. And now the last half of verse 3 comes in like a powerful punch to the jaw. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. This language describing the suddenness of Christ's coming in judgment is especially apt in view of the history of Sardis, which had been captured suddenly 
more than once when its steep citadel was scaled at points where such access was thought impossible. As they lived in blissful ignorance, they were being sifted in God's hands. This letter to the church of Sardis is not all bad news, though. Verse 4 reads, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not yet soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. How good it would have been to hear those words if you and I were one of the few who had not followed the ways of the majority of the people in the church of Sardis. Sometimes in churches, people mistakenly believe that if the majority of the people believe a certain way or they want a specific thing, then it must be the right thing. Not so in this case, at least. The few who had kept their garments unstained from their culture and from the rest of the people in their church were called out in this letter as the ones who had great things in store. They will wear white robes in glory. Why are they worthy? They've not forgotten the gospel, the message that they've heard. They've stayed on track and they've been about their father's business. They have remembered that they've been redeemed from a slavery to sin when they heard the gospel and they responded in faith to it. They remembered that the gospel is our life, that we need to keep it and use it, be involved in sharing it. Because if we're not about the gospel, not using our gifts and abilities for the sake of the gospel, Jesus will come to us in judgment. Today, let me encourage all of you who can hear my voice to first, as it says in Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If today you're not sure of whether you've ever made it a profession of faith in Christ, received Christ as your Savior, do it now. Remember the best gift ever, the forgiveness of your sins. If you can hear my voice right now and you're a Christian, consider this my encouragement to be about your Father's business. Our Father's business is the gospel. We should use every one of our gifts and talents every day to do what we can to share this message with all those who would listen. In the church at Sardis, many, in fact most of the people, had chosen not to be about their father's business. Either they were so involved in the affairs of the world that they had no time to serve Christ and the gospel through the church they attended, or they were serving but their motives were not pleasing to God. They needed to get their hearts right with God. So what is there to gain by walking daily with Jesus as part of the church? Well, like the believers who were part of the church in Sardis back in the day, all those who are victorious will be dressed in white, and Jesus will not blot their names out of the book of life. As it says in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Verse 5 in chapter 3, Revelation, reads, The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. I don't know why it is that some people listen when a message is given and other people don't, but it's true that only some people have ears to hear. In verse 6, those who have ears to hear are encouraged to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
This is a very short passage in a very brief letter to a church that existed, to very real people in the middle of their busy lives. Yet Christ thought it important enough to speak directly to this church for their benefit. And the benefit of countless other churches throughout the world over thousands of years who have heard this passage preached on in their church. In fact, there may be other churches this morning where people are sitting and listening to a pastor speak on this very same passage this morning. It has a lot to say to us here at West Coasa Chapel this morning. We have choices, and this passage speaks about making wise choices. The one that spoke loudest to me appears in verse 3. If you will not wake up, it indicates we have the choice to wake up. This morning, loved ones, I want to urge all of us to wake up once again to the gospel. It's what our whole lives should be about. In fact, there are really only two types of people in the world. Those who are about the gospel and those whose lives are about something else. Please take the words written by John here in Revelation 3 to heart this morning and either commit today to start living for the sake of the gospel or renew your desire to be a gospel man, a gospel woman, gospel young person. As it says in Philippians 4.13, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And the benefits are amazing. If we conquer the temptation to live for ourselves, to do our own thing, to be our own masters, to dismiss the pure desire to serve Christ in the local church, or to trivialize such things, if we conquer the temptation to do things for the wrong reasons, but instead serve God with all we have because he saved us from such a wretched end, we will be clothed in white and we will be called worthy. As the scripture says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. On a side note, please check out Pastor Joe's July letter to our local church. If you don't have a print copy of it, you can find it online at westcoacetchapel.com slash blog. The focus of it is on the great necessity and the great value of the local church. Either way, you're sure to be encouraged, however you read it. It's a great follow-up to this message, even though it was written before I started writing this one. Thanks for your attention. Would you please pray? Father in heaven, thank you for your word, for it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you for such clear words in the Bible. Thank you for reminding me to be about your business doing the right things for the right reasons. Please forgive me for the times I've done my own thing instead of your thing. And please forgive me for doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Help me, Father, to live the way you want me to and not fall into the beliefs of the culture that surround us. I also pray for those in this room right now and for all those who can hear my voice that you would make this message clear to them. I pray for those who have not yet believed the message of the gospel that they would do so, and they would enjoy all the days of walking with you and serving you. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you would renew their desire to live a gospel life, one that pleases you, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.